good to be with you this morning. I have the sense that I'm surrounded by family. Amen. I look out and I see friends, people that I love and pray for. I see Matthew, who is in my family group at student camp. I see Charlie, who helped me load a truck yesterday. I see up here, Bria, who led a hundred of her peers in teaching a Bible lesson this week. There's so many stories in this room of our connections, of our relationships. I see Cody over here who said, when I have five minutes left, he's gonna stand up and shout so that we get out on time. I see Justin Hodge up here who, who fills this chapel with prayer during most, most lunch periods each week. I have uh, Tiffany out here who's about to go to medical school so that she can use her gifts to serve the Lord. And it makes me obligated, com compelled to say that God is good. All the time. All the time. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we stand in a space of worship, inviting you in to welcome uh, us into your home even deeper, to, to step closer to you. God, we are so loved by you. We love you more and more. The more we think about you, the more we pursue you, the more we just learn the depth of your love for us. And we can't help but shout praise. Be with us in this time of worship, of, of looking at prayer, of thinking about praying, and then praying. Be with us in this worship service. I've been encouraged by many of you this week. I've been encouraged through text message. Uh, Addie Deutsch walked up just before the service and she said she's excited to hear this sermon. But there's a weight to the room. Anytime you talk about prayer, you think about all the prayers that maybe you've offered over time. Maybe in your connect group or some point this week, maybe during the service, maybe during the sermon, you're gonna write a prayer request down of something that you've been praying about for quite some time. Or maybe there's that prayer that you didn't even have the energy to write down this time. You've been praying about it so long, it seems hopeless and helpless. It seems like it goes unanswered to a God that seems silent on it. I don't know why some prayers get answered and others receive silence or we get the opposite of what we were asking. But what I do know is this church is a church of prayer. Our pastor is praying. Our staff is praying. I'm told that there's a deacon in a room just praying for the service. The entirety of the service, he's praying for the service. I've been a beneficiary of your prayers. When you guys called me to be your young adult minister, I moved my family down and my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Kinley. You prayed for Kinley and she's now here and she's 14 months old and she's over in the nursery, hopefully happy, possibly not. But regardless, she's being loved and prayed for. We prayed for Glenn's and Jana's granddaughter, Lily, who was born this week, and we're still praying for her to gain weight, to be able to breathe better. But being a church that prays, we get to see a lot of great victories, yes, 
but on the other side is we also get to feel pain. Things get brought before us that we pray for, and it doesn't seem like we get the answers that we want. Just a month ago, we were struck as a 12-year-old girl in a, in a sister church did not pull through. We're heartbroken. Each of us, if I sat down with each of you individually, your prayer life, you could say, here's my win column, and here's my loss column, and here's my ongoing column. We're a church that prays that's beautiful and sometimes that's difficult. Author and pastor Pete Gregg, whom Dr. Brooke has mentioned before, who he read this book, How to Pray. He's written several books on prayer. He gives this encouragement. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. If you don't know what to do with your prayer life, just do those three things. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Pete Gregg is a wonderful resource in prayer, and if, if you want to know more about him but you don't want to read a book, uh, there's a YouTube course that he has, eight different videos, 20 minutes long, all free, on prayer. And the fifth session is about unanswered prayers. We're not the first Christians in human history that know the difficulty of prayer, of having unanswered prayers, or the difficulty of life, of suffering, of pain. The disciples knew this. The disciples experienced this. If you look at church history, the fate of all disciples is not uh, retirement, but it's most likely death, imprisonment, or they fall away that we lose, lose their name to history. They knew the importance of prayer, that when Jesus was in their midst, they went to him and they said, Jesus, teach us not how to preach or how to teach or how to sing or how to do that bread thing where you multiply it, but they said, teach us how to pray. They knew the importance of prayer, and so Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, and it starts with our Father. It starts with this mark of intimacy. The beauty of prayer is that when you pray, you are in communication with a benevolent creator that loves you to infinity and beyond. And no matter the outcome of your prayer, whether it's answered or it falls seemingly silent, no response, that time that you're spending in prayer is eternally worth it because you're spending time in a relationship with a Father God that loves you dearly, who has put us on a path towards eternal victory, that will eventually arrive to a place that there's no more crying, no more pain, and no more suffering. So keep praying. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Stay in relationship with God. Sometimes my prayers are just simple. They're just marks on the board of I did it today. There's an artist named Ruth Oosterman that turns uh, her two-year-old's scribbles into art. I think I have it on the screen. I think this is what sometimes my prayer at life looks like, is, is I can make the random mark on the left, and God can pick it up through the Holy Spirit and turn it into a piece of art. He takes our simple prayers and he's able to pick them up and he sees beauty in them and he says, thank you for this gift. And sometimes he turns it to art. Maybe sometimes he just leaves it as scribbles and he puts a magnet on his cosmic refrigerator and puts our prayer there and says, thank you. If you're looking for a gift, 
to give Dr. Brooks this week, maybe draw a cosmic refrigerator and put your prayer request on it and deliver that to his office. The Apostle Paul knew about these scribbling prayers in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Paul calls them wordless groans. We call them scribbles. They're picked up and interpreted by the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that when he prayed, there was an encounter with power. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you might remember in January I posted of my friends, the Homeyers. They had a young daughter. They have a young daughter, Addison, who's 10 years old. She was with her grandparents, and she was riding a horse. She fell off. She hit her head. She had a seizure, and then she was put into a coma for several weeks. We, the church, prayed for her. We prayed for her, and we, we sent her cards, and we sent her uh, our love. And Addison has made just a wonderful, miraculous recovery. She got to a point where the doctor said, we don't know how much better she can get. It's beyond us at this point. But Addison continues to grow stronger. She can now walk, she can talk, she can laugh and play. We don't know the limits. She still has a long road ahead of her, but the future is much brighter than it was looking in January. I spoke to her dad, Matt, after there'd been some recovery, then they'd been brought back home and, and Addison was playing in a room and he talked to me about the prayer life of all the friends that reached out to him. So he, this was high school friends and college friends and seminary friends, atheist friends, Christian friends. He said a lot was revealed about the prayer life, about how people reached out. I said, thinking of you, thoughts, I'm thinking about you. I'm giving my thoughts and prayers over to you. Is there anything we can do to help? He said, what was needed was the bold prayers. The ones that came out and said, in Jesus' name, heal this girl. He said, that's the power I want. I don't want your thoughts, because if it's just your thoughts, then your skull's the ceiling. But if it's in Jesus' name, it, it steps into something beyond us, beyond our celestial plane, all the way to eternity, all the way to our Creator's ears and heart. So our service, our discourse on prayer, where do you begin? You could talk about adoration and, and petition and intercession. I thought let's start at maybe how many of us end our prayers. In Jesus' name, we pray. A foundational statement for our prayer. Here's the big idea of my sermon. Prayer is a relational encounter with Jesus Christ. Prayer is a relational encounter with Jesus Christ. Let's read Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 20. Please rise for the reading of Scripture. Dwayne's not here. I can't let you get off that easy, though. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 20. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, 
Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out both naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number of those who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In our passage, Paul has left Apollos in Corinth. He's moved to Ephesus, and he'll remain in Ephesus for over two years. This is a long stint for Paul. Sometimes it's just weeks, sometimes it's months, but here he found a real landing place for a while. Ephesus was this hub of, of worship, not a worship of God, of Yahweh, but a whole pantheon of gods, that there was any god that you can think of, you would worship it, and you wouldn't worship it with exclusivity. You could worship 10 gods, 100 gods, because there was a real fear of the evils and the darkness of the world, and you would do anything you could to protect yourself from this evil setting in. So then they began to dabble in magic and to sorcery. They would collect talismans and, and magic scrolls and books, and they would use whatever charms they could to ward off evil spirits. The Jews in this town also spelt, held a special honor that they called upon a god, just a singular god. They wouldn't call on any other, and when they spoke in his name, they seemed to have some real power to them that there was such a reverence for this God, Yahweh, this God that the Jews spoke of, that they wouldn't, uh, an Ephesian Greek wouldn't call upon that name because they said an outsider cannot know that power. But when Paul comes to town, the city has an encounter with true power. Paul comes in and he starts baptizing the followers of John who, who had John's baptism, baptizes them in the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them he then goes into synagogues, which he typically does, and he speaks boldly, and he teaches about Jesus, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his invitation into salvation. After a while, he gets kicked out of the synagogues, and he moves around speaking boldly into other places and locations. But during the day, when he's probably making tents, his aprons and his handkerchiefs are taken from him, and he's so imbued with God's power that they're touched to the sick, and those sick are miraculously healed. Wouldn't it be nice if we could find one of Paul's aprons today that we could go and touch our sick people with to heal them? The problem is, I think if you found one of Paul's old aprons today, it would just be an old piece of cloth that would probably shred as soon as you picked it up. Because two verses before where I started reading, it says in verse 11, God did miraculous work through Paul. The magic's not in Paul. The magic is in the power that he sourced in, which is Jesus Christ. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul's time in Ephesus became so renowned, so pervasive, that it finally caught the ears of these seven sons of Sceva. And they went around saying, let's 
touch that power. Let's dabble into that power. He's just one degree off or where we are. We're Jews. He started out as a Jew. He still claims to be a Jew that has just found the Messiah. So they go to this demon-possessed man, and they, they, they speak the name of Jesus, who Paul teaches about. And then the demon says, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? And then he gives them a beating that's so bad that they leave naked and bloody. D.A. Carson, a commentator, remarks that Christians engaging the enemy will be known not only in the courts of heaven, but in the courts of hell. Why were the sons of Sceva not successful in exercising the demon-possessed man? They called upon the name of Jesus, but what they lacked was a relationship with the name that they spoke. There's an idea that's been circulating for some time that all humans, all of us, are just six degrees away from each other. That meaning that there's, there's so six or fewer social connections that make us friends. This, somebody in this room to somebody in China, that you could trace six people and find a connection. Making this statement, uh, he's a friend of a friend, a universal statement that you can make about anybody. And so you would think the sons of Sceva just being one degree separated from knowing Jesus because they know Paul and they've heard Paul's teachings would make them close enough that they could speak with his power. But being one degree separated from Jesus Christ puts a chasm between you and eternity that you cannot pass unless you know Jesus directly. So when we pray, we pray through our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we say, in Jesus' name I pray, that becomes the foundation of our entire prayer. Names in the Bible are important. Names in this prayer that we offer is important. If you'll remember back in the Old Testament, Abram, this man taken out of a strange country, is named Abraham, who will become the father of many. And when Sarai hears that, she laughs, and she becomes Sarah because she will find joy and happiness. Jacob, the supplanter, when he is born and he finally goes back, he's willing to go and confront his brother, wrestles the angel of God, and he becomes named Israel, those that strive with God. In the New Testament, Simon, the disciple, becomes Peter because he will be the rock, the foundation in which the church is built. Saul, who we pick up here, this hunter of Christians, this killer of Christians, is met by Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he is brought into the light, and he becomes Paul, the one that brings the gospel to the Gentiles. Names, important. more importantly, in Exodus, when Moses is met by a burning bush in the desert of Midian, he walks towards it, and he, he's got this great task where he's supposed to go before Pharaoh. He's supposed to go before his Jewish brothers and say, who should I say sent me? He says, my name is I am who I am. I am Yahweh. He takes God's name to the people, and he leads them to the exodus. And then in Hosea, we're reminded that we're not supposed to confuse the name of God with any other name. Hosea, this book where God's children have become idolatrous, adulterous, and given themselves to other false gods, he tells them, no longer will you call me Baal, which means my Lord. No longer will you call me Baal, for you're confusing me with another God that people are worshiping, a false God. You will call me beloved. 
So when you say, in Jesus' name, you're saying that Yahweh is God, that God is Jesus, Jesus is God, Jesus is my God, whom I love and who I know loves me. This is more than just divine name dropping. It's an interaction with the real power of God. When the people of Ephesus heard what happened to these sons of Sceva, fear struck the town. The thing that they desperately were trying to avoid with their pantheon of gods, with their magic talismans, with their scrolls, and they became to believe in the true power brought to them by Paul. And it led many to confession and many to bring their magic scrolls and to destroy them. The total worth is equivalent to 50,000 days wages. They burned their property, deemed this value and this worth by the world, but by them powerless and worthless because they found true power. They surrendered themselves to the gospel and found a new life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. What happens when we pray is we align our wills not with our own power, not with our own way, but we align it with the power of God. We attach ourselves to the name of Jesus Christ. We remember his, his sacrifice, his salvation, that we wretched sinners could not go before God, but through his salvation, he clothes us with righteousness that we can go before God and he looks down on us and sees his beloved children. When we attach Jesus' name to our prayers, we surrender our power our foolishness for his. We put our own magic scrolls, our own ways of capturing life, of, of sustaining ourselves. We toss those into the fire and say, I don't want that anymore. I want to be in line with the true God. You also see this in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Align us with God's will. It makes me think of uh, a story I've seen on the Discovery Channel about these bees in Japan. These little honeybees, they're smaller than their European Western uh, brothers and sisters, I guess brothers and sisters, bees, cousins. They make honey all, all year long, but when the winter comes, they are at a real risk of the giant Japanese hornet. A hornet that's much bigger than our hornet over here, over two inches long that the bees, if they were to sting this hornet, are not even strong enough to, to pierce the exoskeleton of these Japanese hornets. So there's a video that you can go and watch of a Japanese hornet making it into the hive of these bees, dropping pheromones so that it can find this place again, that it can bring its other hornet nest here to take over this honey, to eat all this food, and to kill all these bees. But the bees have learned how to deal with these Japanese hornets. They start signaling to each other. They, they move uh, to the left, they move to the right. They're, they're signaling, they're, they're coordinating, they're, they're synchronizing. That they begin to vibrate their bodies. And they actually heat up the hive to a point of 117 degrees Fahrenheit. The maximum temperature that a Japanese honeybee can live is 118 degrees Fahrenheit. 
It's just one de degree off of roasting themselves alive, but for the Japanese hornet, it's two degrees beyond where they can survive. They roast this Japanese hornet alive. It makes me think that the night that Jesus was, was betrayed, he went to a place that he often went to, a place of prayer, the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was there praying, and he asked the disciples, please pray with me. They failed to do it then, but they don't fail it to do after resurrection. And Judas comes in with his mob, and he says, I'm gonna go mark the one that we're to arrest with a kiss. He comes to give him a kiss that would be a sting of death, but I think for just a second, Judas tastes a life that he would never know. They think that death has come, death has captured, death has entered into your space, all is lost, but Jesus says, no, no, come deeper. Come deeper, death. Come, walk, walk with me. And Jesus walks with death all the way up to the hill of Calvary, and he takes death in crucifixion, but that's not the end. He goes beyond it. He says, death, now let me take you to a place. Let me take you to a degree beyond where you can go. Let me roast you alive and show you what true life is. Death breaks into the hive. Jesus is caught praying. Jesus is ready. Jesus is, knows what's happening for him. And he comes, he takes on death, he comes in resurrection and ascension, and he invites us into salvation. Maybe this morning in this room, death has tried to sneak in the door through anxiety, through fear, through financial woes, through something that's just weighing on your mind, that's preventing you from seeking life, that's believing in Jesus, that's attaching yourself to salvation, that says, this will win the day. Let me tell you that you come to a place where prayer says, oh, no, you don't. Because when we pray in Jesus' name, we attach ourselves to an eternal power that you cannot conquer, that you cannot beat, that you cannot destroy. I'm gonna invite you to pray to lift up what's on your mind, what's on your heart, what's on the, the prayer request that you're gonna write down. Maybe your prayer request is that you wanna join a fellowship where we are church family, that we pray each other, we know each other, we love each other. Maybe you wanna surrender yourself over to this life for the first time. I'm gonna invite you to the front. There's gonna be people at these baskets, upstairs, downstairs, to receive your prayer request, to receive you in prayer. If you wanna stand up in your pew and you wanna pray for your family, pray for your family. If you wanna pray silently, if you wanna pray out loud, pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. There is no other power that can stand before it. Not a million demons, not a billion demons, not a zillion demons, what other numbers do you wanna make up can stand to the name of one person and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, we invite you here, we invite our prayers our concerns, our woes, our sickness, our illness, our anxieties, we put all of it before you. We cast it all of it before you and say, give us the life that you desire. Give us your will. I pray for boldness in this room, that people would step up, they would step out, they would speak out, they'd speak boldly, they'd speak the name of Jesus Christ in this room over areas of their life that needs light. God, we are not children of darkness. We are children of light. Help us to step into it fully, unabashedly, unashamed, and to live into your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.